Okay, spoiler alert. If you don't know the passage that I'm about to read, I'm jumping right to the very end prior to reading it. If you would happen to know this passage from Luke 5, 17 to 26, focused on a paralyzed man, you may already know what the last sentence is in this scripture. So here's the last sentence. We have seen remarkable things today. Okay, can you repeat that with me? We have seen remarkable things today. That's what the entire crowd was saying. All these people who had gathered around to hear Jesus, to connect with Jesus, the conclusion at the end of this episode in Jesus' life's ministry was, we have seen remarkable things today. Have we? Today? Some would say, well, it's a bit early. (laughs) Yesterday, last week, last month, last year, how many did you wish a happy new decade? Last decade, have we seen remarkable things? One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, everybody pressing in. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the, law, the religious elite who were there began thinking and muttering, I'm sure, to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And just getting called out right there. Right in the middle of the gathering. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things today. I honestly don't know how many times I've preached on this passage of Scripture over the years. But in preaching on this passage of Scripture, I've usually focused on just one or two components of this miraculous encounter between the crowd, the paralyzed man, and Jesus. Normally, I focus on the element of forgiveness which is absolutely miraculous and remarkable that this man is forgiven of his sins and to know that we have forgiveness in Christ who has given his life for us, that we might experience this forgiveness, deliverance, and freedom in him. So it's easy to preach on that theme and then systematically walk through the scriptural reference regarding the forgiveness of God. Another component of this passage that I have landed on quite frequently is the undeniable power of God manifest through the spirit in the person of Jesus with this paralyzed man's healing. There was no 
medical explanation for this. It was an absolute miraculous work of God, so much so that people would have been dazzled. It's, what? Wow. Whoa. Amazing. Incredible. Hallelujah, if they would have said it. Whatever they said, it was in response to something that they had really never, ever seen before. That's what fascinated people about Jesus. That's why they would come in droves. First, they never had anybody with them that taught like that. And secondly, they had never seen the manifestations of the power of God like they had seen through Jesus. And they were captivated. And they were captivated on that day when four guys bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. The element of this story that I hadn't noticed for years, and God has just moved me to address today, is the miraculous gift of friendship. Stay with me as I play this out with you through walking through scriptures. And let me start by saying, would it be a safe assumption to to say to the beloved here at CWC that everyone here has a friend? If you have a friend, would you raise your hand? Beamer, he doesn't have any friends. He won't raise his hand. But anybody else here, do you have a friend? Let me see if you've got hands. The raise, if you've got a friend. Now, would you equally agree that there are different layers and levels of friendship? That for some of us, we have, well, most of us, we have acquaintances. People that we know. We might not even know them by name, but I suspect we do. We connect with them, might be within our faith community, might be within the community wherein we reside, might be in our neighborhood, in the place of employment. We see them. It's not like we eat meals with them every day, but we connect with them, cross paths with them. We would define them as a friend, as a nice person, a good person. We would call them friends, and we've got lots of those kinds of friends. But then there are our colleagues and our associates, those people that we spend an awful lot more time with. These are the people that we may be eating lunch with in the break room. These are people that we share some conversation with somewhat on a frequent basis. These are people that we may be on a ministry team together, have even maybe even traveled together. These colleagues and associates, uh, they know us. They don't know a lot about our backstory, but they know us to the degree that they would clearly say he or she is my friend, and we have them. And then we have our pals, those people that we do share meals with, those people who know a fair amount of things about our lives, those people that we might even vacation with, those people that we might say, hey, I know you're a a man or a woman of prayer and intercession, and this is going on in my life or a life of my friend, and I'm asking you to intercede on their behalf. These are people, the go-to people. And I suspect that most all of us, if not all of us, have these kind of pals in our lives. But then there's that interesting relationship that we might have with but a very few, those intimate companions, those closest confidants. We might call them a soul friend. The person who knows us and knows our backstory so well. There's no judgment there. They just embrace each other. They enjoy spending time together. They go deep and deeper with one another. There is such a connection and affinity of spirit together These are people, if they ask you, how is it with your soul, and you fake the response, they're going to know that you are not being genuine. They just read your nonverbals, and they get it. They know you. All kinds of different layers and levels of friendship. We don't know where these four friends of the paralyzed man fit in on the spectrum. But we learn an awful lot about the miraculous and marvelous nature of friendship through their actions. 
four friends that for whatever reason are seeking to get their friend to Jesus. The reason is they've heard or know about Jesus. Oh, we don't understand that. I'm going to take a little license with the biblical narrative without violating scripture by just raising some questions that are unanswerable, but at least gives us an opportunity to think a little bit more about what's going on in this passage. So here are four friends that bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. Well, what had they heard about Jesus? What did one of them hear about Jesus? What did they know about Jesus? What did even one of them know about Jesus? What we're told is that they are in the city of Capernaum. The Gospel of Mark informs us of this. And we've been told that Jesus has been moving around about in the Galilean region and beyond, teaching, preaching, and healing, the threefold ministry of Jesus. So news, and it says in the scripture, news about Jesus just spread far and wide. We didn't understand why it would. Is that what they caught? Is that what they heard? Or did one or all of these guys, were they in one of those sessions with Jesus where they saw the manifestation of the power of the Spirit of the living God working through him? Uh, We don't know that. Uh, We don't know what they knew. But we know that they wanted to get their friend to Jesus. So where did they live? Capernaum was one of the bigger cities in that Galilean region at the time. Did this paralyzed man have a dwelling not far from where Jesus was teaching? How about these four guys? Where did they live in the city? How long did it take them to get this man to Jesus? What might have been that distance? Because I don't think it would have been super easy just to carry some, well, let's give it a try. I just happen to have a mat. And I just have a very normal, able-bodied young man who is currently paralyzed in the congregation, Hayden, who will be on this mat as our paralyzed man. Hayden, stretch it down. He actually shouldn't be able to walk at the moment, but... (laughs) But currently, this is prior to his healing. It's going to happen in just a second. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Take your place on the mat. Now, you can't see him. Most people in the front row can. Oh, you can loosen up a little bit. Draw your knees up. I mean, you just, yeah, just, you're crippled. You're paralyzed. (laughs) Okay. All right. Bubba, pull that out there. Would you please? Thank you very much. So, you know, what would have taken to not only pick this paralyzed man up, but walk him to where Jesus was teaching and preaching. I'd suggest to you it wasn't necessarily an easy task. Was it as far as like from here to sheets? That would have been interesting. You just don't know. I'm looking for four teenagers that would consider Hayden, in his paralyzed condition, a friend. Four teenagers that would consider Hayden a friend. I thought you raised your hand that you said you had friends at the beginning. (laughs) I'm looking for four teenagers here. That would consider, oh, the, uh, one's being called out. Uh, I'm just looking for four to come on up and join us. Would you please do that? Look, four teenagers. Wow, such resistance within the body of Christ. Is this what happens when you preach, brother? No response whatsoever. <laughs> okay, we got one, two, three, and four. Okay, we've got four. Would each of you take a side of this mat, please? Thank you so very much. And would you walk our paralyzed Hayden to the back of the sanctuary, please, if you would? Yeah. Now, give careful thought to how you're carrying him. You don't want to let one side down too fast. Uh, do you have insurance? <laughs> okay, yeah. So just walk him around the back and bring him up front, would you? Mm-hmm. How you doing, guys? You doing all right? 
not too, not too problematic. Now, hold, hold it one second there, guys. Stop, 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 stop. Here's the problem. I'm going to ask everybody in these first, this first row here to stand up right here in front of them. This crowd is so thick. Would you guys stand up for a second? Just stand right in front of them. The crowd is so thick that you can't get through them. But, 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 you see, Jesus is teaching over here. So you can't really get through the crowd. How are you going to get the paralyzed man to Jesus? Well, you know the story. So, but in your current condition right now, how are you going to get him over here? Figure it out, gentlemen. The service does have an ending time. Oh, you're going right through the crowd? What? This is a violation of scripture right here. Okay, hold it, hold it, hold it. Okay, okay, so they clearly didn't read the word of God. So anyway, or listen to it. You bring the paralyzed man over here. Okay, but now you got to get him up on the roof, right? Because you realize the crowd is so thick around Jesus that you can't even get, think of getting him close. So this is our roof. So you need to get him up on the roof. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. The severity of the condition of the paralyzed man just worsened. Now, hold it. Don't go anywhere, guys. Getting him up on the roof is one thing. Now, you're going to get up on that roof with him. You're not just tossing him up there like you did just now. You're going to get up on the roof with him. Okay, so you're up on the roof with him. He is hanging precariously right at the edge of this roof. Yeah, I would bring him over just a, Okay, thank you, gentlemen. Okay, gentlemen, now, uh, you're up on a roof. Would you think that anybody who had been listening intently to Jesus would be a bit distracted at the moment? I mean, you think about that. I don't know. I've been in ministry moments where, honestly, you would offer me the whole seat, but I'd only need the edge. I was just that focused on that intently listening to what was being said or what was being done. And, and I truly believe that that would have been the posture of the crowd with Jesus speaking. They just want to get as close. So they're tight. I mean, it's, it's shoulder to shoulder. Violation of the 18 inches of personal space by all means. No question about it. Because they want to get to as close to be as attentive as they can to Jesus. So what these guys are pulling, bringing their friend around the building to get up on the roof, would have taken everybody's attention off Jesus. I have a sneaking suspicion, if you don't consider it a violation of Scripture, that Jesus might have glanced over and saw these guys and maybe even snickered, if your theology allows Jesus to laugh, if they even snicker a little bit as to what's going on. Now, how'd they get up on the roof? Was there a little slope adjacent to this building wherein Jesus was teaching, like, out in front with a roof over him? Uh, were there ladders there? Was there scaffolding? I think not. But was, how did they get him up there? No easy task. But even in getting up there, would you tend to agree with me that elevating something may be a little bit easier at times than allowing something to be lightened and let go and let down. So, gentlemen, we've got to let the paralyzed man down in front of Jesus. Well, you just came off the roof. Oh, you can't, you can't come off the roof. No, I'm not. No, you can't. It, no, you're on the roof. This man needs to read the word of God. So, you're on the roof. No, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Okay. 
I just want you to be deliberate and intentional. What do you know you need to do in lowering this paralyzed man down? Don't, well, number one, don't drop it would be a good suggestion. What else do you really need to give consideration to? Okay, very good. Others. Would you have to keep it somewhat balanced? If you don't, there he goes. <laughs> well, he may not be dead, but he'll be in far more severe condition. Okay, so now we've got the ministry and miracle of raising from the dead. So anyway, okay, wait a second. Are you all right? Do you have confidence in your friends? I do. You do? Okay, all right. Bring him down, gentlemen. I would be careful in bringing him down, as you are. A lighter landing than when they put him up there. <laughs> Thank you. Can you just hang there for a little bit? Okay. See, I believe most friends, like most of us, when we have passion and compassion for one of our friends in need, will give consideration to how we might be able to assist or address the matter at hand. But if we run into any obstacles, we would say, well... We tried. We could even thump our chest and say we had great intentions. We thought we had it figured out. We thought we could pull this off. But, you know, the challenge was just too tough. And I suspect that these four friends of the paralyzed man, once they ran up against that crowd and saw the condition, they could have just taken him right back to where they came from and said to the man, we'll try another day when it gets a little easier to get close to Jesus as that had ever happened. Uh, and really feeling like they had accomplished something, but they didn't. But these four friends wouldn't stop resting just in good intentions. These four friends were willing to go the distance, to think outside the box, to be creative, and how because they had a driving passion. They wanted to present their friend to Jesus. They wanted their friend to have an encounter with Jesus. They knew that if they could place their friend in front of Jesus, his life would never be the same. And so they were very creative, and they got up onto that roof. And you know, for those of you who have done remodeling, and I enjoy that, and maybe some of you enjoy too it, but you don't do it without a lot of dust and filth and all kinds of stuff when you're remodeling. Don't think for a second when they were pulling those tiles off over Jesus' head that all kinds of stuff wasn't falling down. Do you think for a moment Jesus would have been, this is interesting. I mean, it would have, they're taking the tiles away and lowering this man. And the coordination, the sensitivities to the man, the deliberateness of their approach, cautiously and carefully leveling him to an, a safe spot. And Jesus' first address to this man was, friend. Your sins are forgiven. Don't necessarily read that his condition was the result of his sin. There are times when our condition is the result of our sin because there are consequences physiologically to choices we make at times. But just like the parents who had the son born blind, it wasn't anything they did or he did. You live in a fallen world and stuff like this happens. And so we don't know what motivated or manifested this condition. But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. You can just imagine that those that heard this were aghast at the blasphemous statement. 
Because everybody know who was trained in Torah and understood the traditions of Judaism that no one has the power or the, uh, the, the ability to forgive sins but God and God alone. And I just, you probably love this too. I love this, this narrative section of scripture. So which of you, you know, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or rise, pick up your mat and walk. And I like to say, you know, when you read that narrative, were they following along? Was it on screen? Oh, it was. Okay. So immediately those words are barely spoken before this paralyzed man stands up, picks up his mat and says, goes home praising God. And that would have been an aha moment for everybody there. Thank you, Hayden. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. I appreciated his uh, praising God on the way back to his seat. (laughs) Do you have friends like that? Being a part of Salt Lake Ministry over the years, we do an annual event at Camp Green Hills in Barrie called Impact. And a number of years ago, I was made aware of a young man from a church group out of this region who had uh, got himself in a lot of verbal altercations with members of his, his ministry, including his pastor and his youth workers. And uh, he was so upset with the confrontation he had with them that he wrote a note um, indicating he was going to engage in some self-injury. He gave it to a member of our staff who brought it to me, and I read it. And in that season, we would have counselors there on grounds. You're dealing with a 1,000 kids in one place. You need to be prepared for just about anything, and as far as we could be prepared. So we aligned him with a counselor, and the counselor, after a time of talking with him, indicated to me that uh, we believe that they were hollow threats and that he can return back to his group if the group will allow him to. Well, the group was really hesitant in doing this. But it was approaching Friday evening of this four-day event, and I was excited for this particular night because the Salt Lake team all summer had been working on a drama that they wouldn't show me, and they were going to reveal it on Friday night. They just wanted to bless me with it. And so prior to the start of the main stage, I'm making my way down to that stage, and I see my young acquaintance, Paul, by the stage, and he's pacing. And he's got a, a head as red as a turkey gobbler in spring, so I knew he was all fired up. And so I just walked up to him. Bubba, come here a second, would you please? So I just walked up to him. What I would like normally do, or any of you would normally do to a kid that you know is a little stressed out, I just put my hand on his shoulder. It's a very endearing, fatherly kind of response to him. But what he did was he took his left hand, and you may, he took his left hand and knocked my arm off his shoulder. It was a little more violent than that. <laughs> no, <it's> just... Ouch. <laughs> Thank you, you have a seat. I'll be talking to your parents about your behavior. So, (laughs) I just, he says, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. Takes his fist and just slams the metal trash can there. And he says, I'm going to kill him. Whoa, you just took it to another level. No, I'm going to kill myself and takes off running. Takes off running to the little Juniata that four days prior to the event, all four days it had been torrential downpours and the little Juniata had swollen its banks. And we'd made announcements from the main stage a lot. Stay away from the little Juniata. Don't even think of going in there to swim or tube or anything like that. And he's taking off for it. He takes off. I take off after him. About 30 yards. <laughs> Why are you laughing, sir? <laughs> About 30- 
30 yards. Security! I'm calling security. They come flying down off the hill. But this kid's a flyer, and they can't catch him. But see, a member of his own youth group saw what was going on, and he took off after the kid, and he was just a little faster and tackled this young man feet before he threw himself into the little Judiata. Of course, in the meantime, unbeknownst to me, someone had called 911. So it wasn't too long. Woo, 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 woo. State police come pouring into the grounds. And then they take control, as they should have, of the situation. And I'm sitting off to the side. And about 20 minutes later, an officer approaches me and says, uh, sir, do you know this young man? Well, yes, I do. I knew him before the event a little bit, and I've had some encounter with him. Do you have a note from him that reflects the possibility of self-injury? Well, yes, I do. He said, well, we're going to remove the young man from the grounds, and uh, there are two choices. We're going to let you decide whether we take him to the uh, prison here in Huntington or whether just hold him in a holding cell, or do we take him down to J.C. Blair Memorial Hospital? Oh, don't take him to prison. Oh, take him down to the hospital. Okay, we'll do that, and you're going with us. Well, what do you mean I'm going with you? You have a note? Yes. You know this man? Yes. We heard that the church doesn't want anything to do with him. You know, I still don't understand that. But I was aware of that. I said, yeah, that's true. Well, you're coming. Sir, officer, I have an event to lead. And the officer looks me dead in the face. Are you the only one here that can lead this event? Well, no, not at all. I mean, other people can lead the event. Fine. Get in your car. You're coming with us. Has anybody ever been in an emergency room? Can I see your hands? You've ever been in a... <laughs> Did anybody sit any longer than 10 minutes in an emergency room? Wow. Anybody there parked for more than an hour? Two? A lot of hands still up, everybody. When I arrived at the emergency room, it was close to 730. Uh, I had grabbed his medical form that had his information on it so I could register him and, you know, get the medical information to the people in charge and had his contact stuff. And so 830 passed, 930 passed, 1030 passed. And I think, you know, I, wow. I'm going to call mom. I called mom. Now, I knew his church didn't want to do anything with him, which is hard for me to get my mind around. But I called mom, not anticipating the response I got from mom. Uh, Ma'am, this is Stephen Gallagher. I work with Salt Lake Youth Ministry, and I just want you to know that I have your son here at the hospital. Okay. Oh. Well, um, we've had him admitted to the hospital. He's in the psychological ward right now. I don't care. I know you've had this kind of encounter. Well, ma'am, um, I haven't seen him yet, but, and I don't know what condition he really is, but would you like to make arrangements to come down and see him? I'm not coming to see him. Well, ma'am, he's going to be in here for 72 hours, and our event's going to end prior to his getting home. Can we make arrangements for him to get home? I mean, do you want us to, you know, like, how do you want us to get him home? I don't care. That's your problem. I never thought I'd really hear that from a parent. I mean, in all of the stuff that maybe we have done when we were younger, we are still the subject of mom and dad's love. We're still their kid. We're still their son. We're still their daughter. And I knew that what he had told me previously, that his home life was a wreck, was absolutely true. So I sat another hour, and uh, a nurse came in, and she said, uh, Stephen, yes, would you like to see him? Yes, I would. And can I just own right now? that with the invitation to see him, I was not in a good frame of mind. I was agitated. I was agitated because, listen to how I say this, I missed everything at the event at Impact that night. I missed 
the special drama skit that they had prepared. I had just sat in this emergency room for now four hours, not knowing what's really going on. Yeah, I want to talk to him. So she led me up, and when I came to his room, his back was towards me, one side of the room. And when I walked in, he heard me walk in, and he turned around, and you could just tell he'd been bawling. And this is what he said to me, and the Holy Spirit used it to cut through my heart like a knife. I am so sorry I ruined this night for you. And I thought, am I that transparent? Well, before God, I am. He knows what's on my heart. And I was immediately flooded with a sense of conviction. And I didn't know what to do except what a dad and granddad that I am would do. I just opened my arms like many of you would do. And this boy leapt across that room, just flew into my arms. And he was bawling. Would it surprise you to say that I was too? Mostly under the conviction of the spirit in my life in that moment but also a welling up within me in compassion for this boy. And uh, well, we prayed together, and I left the hospital. And, yeah, we were going to make arrangements for him to get home. We knew we were going to do that. And it was, oh, I don't know, maybe 1 or one thirty till I pulled back up at Green Hills. Lights are out at midnight. No campfires past midnight. Everybody would be racked out in bed. God. And uh, I pulled into my parking spot pretty worked up by the Spirit of God, you know, confessing. My narcissistic tendency has got to be about me. And as I pulled into my spot, three unidentified figures came walking down off the hill toward me. Didn't know who they were. So, you know, if you see something like that late at night, it's totally dark out. You see the presence, you know, as you, immediately, you just, you know, who, and as they got closer, I knew who they were. They were colleagues of mine. And they walked up to me, and I said, what are you guys doing it's like 1.30, 1.45. And I'll never forget their response. Praying for and waiting for you. Praying for and waiting for you. And I just lost it all the more. Realizing that God was teaching me a very valuable lesson in that moment. That it's not about me. It's about how God can work through me and you for the benefit of others. So... These four guys, and I'll close with this and we'll, we'll move on, but these four guys uh, did something really absolutely amazing and remarkable because most everybody would have just hung it up. But you never read another thing about those four guys once they placed their friend in front of Jesus. Not a thing. Just like the star of Bethlehem. When the star of Bethlehem led the Magi to the Christ child, you never read another thing about it because it had fulfilled its purpose. You see, these are the kind of friends that I have in my life, and I'm so grateful. But this is the kind of friend I want to be. Someone who wants to place their friends, their acquaintances, their associates, their pals, their soulmate, in front of Jesus. To connect them with Jesus. That through their encounter with Jesus, their whole life changes. Nothing's the same. So as I walk away from this stage today, I just am left with the question, who are those friends on my heart that I want to intercede for? Who are these friends that I really need to reach back out to? Who are these friends that I need to text, call, send a letter to? 
who are these people that in connecting with them want to point them not in a judgmental way now finger pointing judgmentally nothing to do with the kingdom but finger pointing to jesus within who are those people well to jesus i uh, i think that's what we want to be about who are those people would you join with me in prayer Lord, thank you for those persons that you placed and have placed in our lives. But it's Christ-like compassion to us to walk alongside of us even when we just want to be alone. To evidence the kindness of the Lord but that through our encounter would lead us to repentance. For those people today, Lord, that you've placed in our heart, we place them before you. The names have been erupting in our minds right but we just that. We may not have seen for a while. We see every day. But we just want a place before you. And we want to make the most of the opportunities that you afford us to connect them with you through a good word of how you've been working in our lives to stir the thought that God would work in theirs. Of being able to pray over them and for them, even in the moment, in the place that maybe even seems inconvenient. But to acknowledge you as the Lord of all and that your miracle and wondrous working power changes people's lives and conditions many of us have experienced that know that lord and what we have received we want to pass on and to share with others so thank you thank you thank you jesus for your wondrous love and your amazing grace for the miracle working power and the miracle of the healing and the miracle of the forgiveness and the miracle and the gift of friendships that lead us to you remind us of you encourage us in you. Inspire us for you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.